Tom Schiller, we are live. I went live and I didn't, I wasn't even sure we had Dr. Mark Changizi here, but he's here. I can see him on my screen. I'm going to add him to the screen. Uh, that's it. Mark Changizi. Add to screen. Let's do it. He's here. Mark Changizi, welcome to the show. Hey, good to be here. Uh, look, I have, oh, I didn't even plug in my thing, my microphone here. Let me do that. That's good me pretty well can't you yeah okay great hey uh i've been watching your stuff on twitter i've been fascinated by it and i started looking at your youtube videos and i went to your site and i said let me have a chat with this guy because uh, i want people i know to hear what you're doing because i think it's very interesting uh dr mark Angies, you are a doctor of can you explain to me uh vino optics uh yeah so well vino optics is a company that comes out of my research on uh Vino Optics, we sell color blindness glasses. We sell vein finder glasses for nurses, paramedics, doctors, things like that. Yeah. And you've written, uh, you've written books about what is your specialty? You are a scientist and an entrepreneur, but your specialty is in it is a, it's visual uh, perception. What exactly is it? Well, it's, it's, I mean, my PhD is in math, but I became a theorist. I'm a theoretical neuroscientist, but I focus more on evolutionary questions about why you're why things are the way they are, why you see the way you do, why your brain is structured why, the way it is, why we came to have music, why your fingers get pruny when wet, why we have emotional expressions. I've always been interested in these ultimate kinds of questions rather than the mechanisms, the billiard balls bore me. I like, you know, the ultimate, why we are structured the way we are. Well, I want to share, uh, hopefully I can share my screen here and uh, get your email up because uh, your, there's a tweet that I want to share. So bear with me here while I put it up on the screen and maybe we can take a look at it. Um, here we go. And that's on there. Can we all see that? Um, it's a, oh yeah. <clears throat> okay. So I want to kind of run down the list here because the, you know, you tweet a lot about, and uh, the thing I love about you is you don't, you certainly don't mind repeating yourself because you have a, ser a series of things you want to talk about and you keep talk talking about them. And that's what got my attention. I said, I got to look more into this guy here. So uh, you talk about, and I don't know if I want to use the word unintended consequences, because obviously some of these almost seem intended, but the, uh, the COVID response, I'm going to ask you about masks and then I'm going to ask you about uh, the idea of, a panic, whether whether or not we are in a society-wide panic. But we'll start with masks, because I've been skeptical about not just whether, because I, I happen to think that ma universal mask wearing doesn't work, but I've said fairly often, I don't really care if it does work to somehow reduce the risk of COVID, because there are so many other harms from it, especially for children. And so let's kind of go through, through your masks in a nutshell tweet here. And we'll start with the most are asymptomatic, meaning when we first started, I think uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci used to be against masks. And when he's changed his mind and he said he was for masks, he mentioned that there was it was because of the asymptomatic spread. Right. Um, well, I mean, originally he, he, he was against masks. You mean back in uh, February and, and March? You're talking about yeah. Dr. Fauci? Yes. Yes. Originally, they said, no, there's no reason to wear masks. Later, they sold that and repackaged it as, well, we were only saying that because we wanted to uh, keep the relatively small amount of masks, which were not like, sort of wrapped, you know, ramped up in production for medical personnel. And now we're telling you the real truth that, you know, they totally work, which was 
not what happened. What happened was the science prior to this said that they didn't work. He said what was true, but then at some point the culture and a kind of a new uh, a cultural revolution, a safety revolution happened and it's per sort of pervaded the minds by virtue of the panic in, in March. And uh, the politics of it, I don't mean left-right politics, I mean like the politics of this new safety religion versus those who are not yet you know, encompassed by it. Uh, forced him in some sense, uh, pressured him to, to, to say, to, to change the, the view of what the science was, even though it never was that. Yeah. And I think the first, when he first came out or when the CDC and everybody else started coming out and saying, we, we need to have universal masking, they were going by this idea that there was asymptomatic spread. We kind of now know that asymptomatic spread is almost non-existent. Is that correct? Yeah. I, I, there's a bunch of different papers. They're all, they're, either they couldn't find any or it was relatively, you know, like a, a very small, uh, it doesn't drive it. It's, it's relatively rare compared to, I mean, the more that you are having symptoms and coughing and, you know, wheezing, those are the signs that there's uh, uh, material that's being expelled as aerosols out into the world. To the extent that you're not feeling any of those symptoms, um, uh, you're not expelling the same kind of volume of aerosols in, in, into the into the air, which float their way over to the lungs of other people. Uh, the email is back up here, or the uh, the tweet: virus uh, quote smokes through and around. So that's the idea that the the reason we're wearing masks originally it was it, my mask protects me and it protects you. Now that they realize that the the you know after this Danish study came out, there's uh, it doesn't seem to be effective at protecting you the wearer from COVID, but it says you still have to wear it because the droplets, you have to protect other people from the droplets, but you, you explain virus smokes through and around the mask. Well, I mean, this is, let me just say it as an, an interesting metaphor. You know, even, even baby spiders, you know, they get a little bit of silk and they float away. You know, you're at this, when you're down at the scales of even small animals, they float around, they have a completely different physics, right? We don't think about the way that these small kinds of, um, of creatures and viruses, sort of biological things like this, what their world is like. Their world is not a one with little objects that go through the air and projectile and land at places. Suddenly new things come up when you're, when you're at those sizes. So it's very, most of us just imagine, well, they're leaving pieces of stuff. And you, there was a stupid video in England where it's like green, every t everything that they touched in the house was like left with a green mark and there was just green all over their faces and it was like a big scare tactic, it was disgusting. But in fact, that's not how viruses, bacteria can spread that way too. Of course, bacteria can just start growing anywhere like a Petri dish growing just on their, you know. Um, but viruses float through the air because when you're, when you're, that's the best way to get to someplace else. You can just be floating like a smoke. They're just basically the size of smoke particles which go right through right through all of the, the masks, except for N95 masks, which also have been shown, have had no evidence that they actually even work, despite it in principle working. Because even there, the N95 masks have to be perfectly sealed tightly around your face and really lower the amount of car, you know, the volume of air that you can get in and out. You shouldn't, shouldn't wear it very long. But no one is wearing those, and no one should wear those. Um, and so it's going right through the mask, and to the extent that it slows, there's greater pressure there. It's just squirting out and jetting around the sides. So you can't stop with these kinds of measures, a smoke-like thing, and that's how they spread. They spread, and they and they spread like smoke for two reasons. In some sense, evolution, it allows them to float through the air and get farther to other bodies. Two, you don't want to land on someone's skin; it's just going to die there on your skin, doesn't it? it can, the only places it really can get in are potentially your eye, the mucosa of your eye. Maybe there's some argument it could get into, but the best way 
is to be breathed right into the alveoli of your lungs. Boom, you're basically at the blood, you know, at the barrier from blood to, to, to right there. You can get right into the blood, right into the system. That's how you want to get in. If you just land as a piece of spittle or even right into my mouth, eh, it's not going to be the, a, a good chance of getting in. It's when you breathe it in. That's how these things spread. I don't know if it was you. I know Alex Berenson mentioned this as well, the idea that they've been studying now that large droplets might be stopped by the mask. But in fact, if someone were to, because they always do these studies on the sneezes, if someone sneezes, they have this, uh, you know, the, the, the mask stops the sneeze from going six feet and maybe goes five feet, whatever it is. But that the mask actually breaks these large droplets down into smaller ones, which are actually more inhalable in the air. Is that Have you heard that as well? Yeah, so there, there's a long history of, uh, what is it called? Um, you know, everybody knew the kid that had to take the, um, you know, when he had the puffer, yeah. And so there's a particular, uh, they purposely aerosolize, they're aerosolizers, you know, um, and they take what's liquid in there, and by squirting it out, it basically just aerosolizes so that it can be breathed into your lungs better. So to the extent that, I mean, and I don't know the physics of what happens when these particles or a little bit of wet particles are on a mask, but there's all these people that have spent their lives in that kind of field are arguing that what you'll end up with is some spit ends up there. To the extent that spit is blocked at all, it can now be aerosolized potentially into something that can actually infect. Whereas were the mask not there, the spittle would just be on the ground someplace. And even if worst case, it landed on their face, their, even in their, in their mouth, it's probably not going to do anything because it really has to be aerosolized to really have a great chance of getting in. Yeah. Okay. Uh, under the mask harms, uh, you, you, you are one of the only people who articulates the many different harms that come from universal mask wearing. Let's just start with the cardiovascular, because you hear people say all the time, they've shown study, because when I have a mask on my face, which is very rare, I, I feel like it is less healthy than when I don't have a mask on my face. It feels so obvious to me that breathing in fresh air without a mask is much better than breathing air through a mask, both in and out. Now, uh, but I'm not a doctor and I don't know the answer to this thing, but it, to me, it seems patently obvious. Now, you people say, no, 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 they've done tests and your oxygen levels are just as high with a mask as without. I don't really believe that. Uh, it, what's the cardiovascular issue? Well, so there's the, uh, actually, in a subtweet to that tweet, and I realize that's just a screenshot in your email, rather. But there's another yeah. that goes into the details of, of these studies. So there's one study that's prior to 2020, which should always be looked at before all of this weird kind of craziness happened. And uh, it 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 had subjects doing exercise with a mask on only for 30 minutes, and already there was drops in in in, in O2 and all these different you know uh, blood all these different kinds of six different kinds of measures. I can't remember the names of the different kinds of measures that all correlate with the yeah. degree to which you're in some sense, uh, under under fatigue. Um, and all of these things went down very quickly. And there's a new study that just came out uh, last week or in the last month that also backs this kind of up under, under intermediate or, or greater exercise. You have all of these deficits relative to normal. And again, these are relatively short stints of exercise as opposed to, um, I mean, so it's folks that are waiting tables all day long who are not they don't deem themselves as ex exercising, but they're being active all day long, moving around, doing what, what uh, depending on their, their level of conditioning, really may count as exercise. And they're being forced, basically, to do this eight hours a day. Yeah. The, uh, let's get to my favorite subject. And I don't know anyone else who's talking about this. 
besides Mark Changizi, falls. Uh, you did a little experiment in your YouTube video. You talked about field of vision, and I want people to try this. I have my iPhone here, but you can try it. If you don't have your iPhone with you and a mask handy, just do this after the video is over. But take your phone and put it in your lap, uh, just, you know, as far in as you can do it in your lap here. Just put it up, guys, put it right above your zipper and stare straight ahead. And you can see, I can see the glow from my phone. I can't really read it, but it's in my peripheral vision. I'm aware that there's an iPhone on my lap. I can see it, okay? Now, when you do this at home, keep the phone on so you can see the glow of the phone. Take a mask and hold it on your face like this. And take a look at what you can see in your peripheral vision. This was actually amazing to me just doing it, Mark, because not only can't I see the phone, I can't even see the edge of my desk with this mask on in my peripheral vision. So it cuts down. I don't know what it is. Is it 30% of my peripheral vision at the bottom half of my vision? Yeah, it seemed vaguely in that range when, you know, it, it, roughly in that range. And most people just you know, have no idea the extent to which your face and your cheeks and all of these things are designed so that you can see your own body. So you can get the visual motor feedback that you need to be an active and dynamic animal. You miss that and you're going to be engaging in falls. There's, you know, there's up to 600,000 deaths from falls worldwide every year. No one is taking, in, you know, we, it's not been enough time to see whether we start to see a spike in that kind of thing. Falls are a serious issue, and they're, uh, as with COVID, they're a much more serious issue, uh, exponentially more serious issue as you get older, because one fall um, is enough to initiate, you know, a UTI, which initiates the X and Y and Z, and then soon they're dead. These, so these, these falls um, do uh, have, have lots of consequences, and that's just one of these many consequences uh, mentioned there. And I don't know if we're ever going to see the numbers for this, because I'm thinking for this whole year, you have people, you might have students who, you know, some of them, most of them are home at this point, but students going to and from school. Uh, you have older uh, Americans, you know, 55 and over shopping at Home Depot. They take a fall. They take a fall in the parking lot. Maybe uh, someone takes a fall when they're going up their stairs with their groceries uh, because they, they, they can't see their feet with their mask on. And none of them blame the mask because they don't know they don't consciously realize that they're getting that feedback in normal life. These are one of these unconscious, far periphery things you don't realize you're seeing. Yeah. And I get dozens and dozens of people texting me or direct messaging me saying, my mother, my husband fell, and they just felt so stupid. They blame themselves. Most people just blame themselves. Oh, it's so clumsy. They have no, they have no idea that that's, in fact, the reason they fell. Skin wounds. Uh, my sister sent me a picture of herself with a rash on the side of her face because she works in a retail store. So she has to wear the mask for the whole day. I, I've never, I, I don't know if I've worn a mask for more than 20 minutes during this entire thing yeah. because I minimize my mask wearing and I just don't go to places where they're required. But she has to wear it at work. She had a rash on her face. I wish I could share the picture with her, but I don't have it handy. And I, I texted her back and I said, don't wear that mask. You now have a medical excuse because that mask is giving away facial rash. And she said, I can't say that to my boss. So uh, this is another thing. I wonder how many people are getting texts and emails from their brothers, sisters, friends, uh, whatever. And they are breaking out in uh, with facial rashes, wounds, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. And there's obviously those that's bad in itself to have the kind of uh, the, I don't know what kinds of long term problems can happen, happen by virtue of that. But one of the things they talk about in one of these papers, which was published just before and as COVID was hitting, was that especially it was in the context of medical personnel 
once you have open wounds, well, you now have a new way, a new mechanism or a new entry point into the bloodstream um, that you otherwise wouldn't have. So by having these space wounds, now, back, you know, now bacteria as well as viruses potentially can enter directly through these wounds. So it could yeah. be counterproductive. Uh, okay, the next one is wrecked socio-emotional behavior. If none of these other things were even true, if it didn't increase falls, if it didn't uh, you know, cause rashes, cardiovascular harm, anything like that, I have said from the beginning of this that a world with masked people, a world with covered faces is not a world that I that I think is worth living in. I will say I will go that far. Yeah. And I think for children, especially spending a year without seeing faces, it's got to harm their development in some way. So, you know, children and adults, let's speak to that, Mark. Yeah. Well, look, there's two things. There's, there's uh, of course, identity, you know, seeing the human identity, seeing who's who. We have specialized areas in the brain that are designed for recognizing people, and it's by virtue of their face. We're, we're not good at recognizing most of the other aspects of their body. Being a social animal, you need to know who is where and you know where they are by virtue of recognizing just where you know who's who. But much deeper than that, and more subtle, is that our emotions and our emotional expressions are our first language. And so my, in my next book, which doesn't come out until late next year, it's called Unmasked, partially motivated by this whole, why did all of these... The animals who have deep emotions internally, they never express themselves like a shark is just dead eyed, but he probably has emotions. He or she has emotions because they have just, just feelings that make them do certain kinds of things. <laughs> Why do we unmask and suddenly show all of these emotional expressions? These emotional expressions, the, the book is in some sense, um, uh, um, the decoding what they mean in terms of the actual meaning, in terms of uh, emotional expressions, the, the kind of negotiation and compromises that humans have to do with one another and all social animals have to do. And showing exactly what emotional expressions means and the power of our first, our evolutionarily first language. It is crucial, all, all of the conversations that humans do with one another, we often imagine that it's these words with emotion on sort of writing on top with the intonation of our voice. No, it's the other way around. The true stuff that we're saying to each other is usually by virtue of the emotions and we, that's the true important stuff. Often the words are really secondary. You know, I may, if it's a degree, or I'm putting emotions now in the words as well, you know, in, in addition, but it's not just two robots talking with logic like Spock. The key is that the key is understanding what these emotional expressions mean, and they're crucial for regulating social behavior. That's what they're for. Without it, you couldn't be a social animal. You cover these things up. You completely devastate our ability to emotionally signal and regulate the kinds of behaviors that we have that keeps our reputations and our relative ranking and, our, and keeps us truthful, keeps us all of these kinds of things. I don't want to get into a long thing about the book, but the book is about unpacking exactly what emotional expressions are and what indeed we're losing by virtue of masks. The, uh, the, the, I noticed something the other day, and I don't know if this is something that's been written about or whether you've uh, talked about it as well, but I was in a, a kind of a deli and the person behind the deli counter had a mask on and the other person had a mask on and she gave her order the the woman ordering and then the deli person uh asked her what you know because she couldn't hear her because they're both wearing masks so they both leaned in over the deli counter both over the deli meats and leaned into each other and they spoke louder uh i i, I see this happening everywhere people have to lean in speak up get closer I almost think the whatever droplets you're stopping with a mask, I think because people's muffled speech, it's causing them to to lean in and get closer than ever before. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, these these sorts of contradictions, you you would like to imagine that these kinds of contradictions and irrationalities to the you know the underlying story that justifies these sorts of interventions that have been going on, that it will unravel and will go back to the way things were because of that. But I don't think that's going to happen at all. And you find this in, you know, I, my family's from Iran. My wife is from Iran. My dad is from Iran. And we're in this country because of that kind of bullshit, right? <laughs> all of the time, there's a thousand different kinds of rules that are going on since the Islamic revolution happened. In the beginning, they said, well, women only have to wear hijab when they're going to government buildings. But soon it spread. These things spread. It wasn't even... It need not even have been the government. It's just the people that decide. A cultural change happens. They get sort of, they get, and then suddenly soon you can't go on the street without Karens, in this case, sort of Islamic Karens, hitting you or screaming at you, or the men or women on the street snitching on you and yelling at you to put, to put your headscarf on, or whatever other behavior you're doing that's against the rules. These things are, uh, are policed, often not by the police at all, but, and that's what makes that so scary. It's your friendly neighbor who's just trying to be helpful. It's all of the lovely people around who are normally very lovely and still are lovely and would just say, look, this is you're killing people if you don't do this. And in Iran, they're saying, look, it's bad for society. You're tempting men and all of the fabric of society is going to going to crumble if you start acting like the people, you know, the evil people in the West who are just showing their breasts and cleavage. And, you know, you know, yeah. so my, my wife would have one little piece of hair because she's curly coming out in high school and she would have to, you know, they would always be yelling at her you know, to, to cover it up, you know, these things, same thing is happening. And uh, in this case, the interesting thing is in Iran and in other cultural revolutions, there's often an, an infection metaphor. The Jews are infectious. They create metaphors of infection because cooties and infection is scary to humans. Naturally, instinctually, we get frightened of it. Uh, the bourgeoisie and the Chinese cultural revolution were infectious. Anybody who knew them or hang out with them, you have to they're just there. You have to get rid of all of those people, all of those things. Anyone who is haram, anybody who is um, behaving not like a good Muslim is infectious and can destroy society. Here, it's even worse in the sense that I don't mean, I mean, th things were, were, were bad there. Worse metaphorically in the sense that it's not a metaphor. <laughs> there really is an infection. Of course, it's radically exaggerated. The average person in America thinks that 9% of Americans have already died. This was back in July. They already think 9% have already died of COVID. So they're like astronomically on not realizing the real scale of things because of uh, the miscommunication by media and so forth and, and, and the hysteria. But there really is an infection. So this metaphor doesn't need to be created out of whole cloth. It actually it's there. And so on top of that, somehow the human psyche gets frightened and spooked by this and, and just uh, can accept all kinds of rules uh, on its behalf. The uh, I think that that study that showed nine percent of Americans, uh, uh, the United States was the highest. Europe, other uh, countries, they're five percent, six percent, seven percent, but nine percent. We were the highest in our perception of how many people have died from uh, from the virus and who how many people have been infected. Uh, so we are in a a panic now. It seems obvious we are in a national uh, panic. Have is it unprecedented? You know, I'm trying to think because we have this, we, there have been panics in the past. We usually associate it with financial panics like the the, the crash in 1929. We are in a panic that uh, I thought was going to go away. I kept telling my family, two weeks, people are going to realize this uh, and they're going to stop panicking. We haven't. Uh, do you see an end coming? Yeah, I, I, I and I don't, have enough terminology even for these sorts of things quite yet. Uh, 
I would, I would, I'm personally characterizing the panic more in February and March, and, and actually on March 11th in particular, at least in the United States, seems to be the climax, which pushed people over the edge and then sort of turned, created a, the panic created a mass psychosis. So there was panic and hysteria. And now we're like, no one is like rushing around panicky. They're just in a new, they have such a new frame of mind that it's not going away between individual frames of mind and the structure of the network of such people with frames of mind, you have a new state that's occurred and a new kind of narrative, which I talk about in other kinds of things. Narratives become creative, which also created, once they're created, they're almost like a blockchain. And uh, blockchain is a cryptocurrency like Bitcoin. It creates a history of all the transactions that occurred in cryptocurrency. Narratives in social communities create a history of all of the amount of reputation that was lost between all the various individuals saying the sort of stuff that they do to one another. and and once it gets formed, it's really hard to break, really hard to crack. And it's decentralized. It's out there. Sort of it's by gossip and everybody's just watching. Okay, this person went up and he was saying he was saying good, right things. In this case, the whole world created this, um, this, it was, I mean, let's set aside the whole world. So these, these sort of narratives that happen that are really hard to, to change once they happen. We've seen them happen before, like you mentioned, these kinds of mass psychoses. I'm saying them, I would say when you, once the, a narrative like this happens and it's completely fucked up and wrong that's like a mass psychosis <laughs> can't change it and this has happened to iran my own uh, history from, from there and all of the different countries we've seen these you know all over the world there's these things that happen but they're usually confined to a country or maybe in the united states in some particular area for some particular time something weird happens but usually we could point and say well you know they're they're islamic they're persians they're middle eastern they're like totally different background than us whereas we've been in the west we're We've been dem democratic and freedom loving, and we're not prone to that kind of bullcrap. That's that's what we do in the West. We say they're faraway people, and we're not subject to that kind of stuff. Um, but we are subject to that kind of stuff. And what was interesting about this was, I think this is the first time that most of us in the West have experienced this kind of thing. And two, it's the first time historically that it may have hit all of the Earth together at once. Hmm. You know, maybe one can come up with some other examples that were close, but I think this is the first time that it was a single echo chamber because of social media connecting everybody in time. And so in, in early March, just the entire echo chamber without, you know, usually be one country's saying one wrong thing, but it's slow to travel to the other one. And it just never gets, goes viral in these other parts of the world. It became viral everywhere. And once every person, your mom and your sister, they heard the media saying one thing. Everybody that they knew was saying the same thing. And the media was hearing that and then saying this. And then the government heard them. So the government starts saying, it all starts reinforcing in a positive feedback loop. And so once you've heard that many people from that many different sources, seemingly independent, saying the same thing, you believe with 110% what they're saying. And there's no going back on that. They really still um, believe that this is a disproportionately dangerous pandemic that and everything that they've been doing is working all of the different interventions work and if they're not working it's just because you need to do more more lockdown. yeah that's it i mean instead of i i i see constantly friends of mine posting on social media they say i've stayed in i've i've, I've isolated i haven't seen my mother in a year uh, my husband and i both wear masks we're 1000 percent compliant and we both got covid and then they say, wear your damn mask, everyone. And I say to myself, <laughs> how is that their conclusion at the end? You yeah. know, it's funny. Yeah. Uh, but see, well, this is the thing is Iran is filled with this kind of stuff. And it's now 40 years in. All the statements are all contradictory, self kind You know, all, it, there's no. So uh, people shaking their heads at all. The, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to go away. Sometimes 
it can actually be the other way. When when the people that are, are saying stuff that's obviously false and the other people are nodding their head, it 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 that is you, you want to get the people believing in you to bend a knee, not because you're saying inter interestingly uh, useful things. They're only really bending a knee to you when they're when they're bending a knee to some bullcrap that you're saying. That shows that they're really following you. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So when you have these contradictions spouted and people are still believing it and following it, it in some sense is the height of uh, of uh, of uh, sort of authoritarian uh, situation. That's great. But I, I don't. I don't. I, by the way, I don't want. I don't believe that there's any organized conspiracy that's began any of this. I think this is all all explained by decentralized, you know, just stuff, positive feedback loops and echo chambers and things going viral, things like this. And that it couldn't, it wasn't and really couldn't ever be designed in advance because making something go viral, even if the Chinese tried with a thousand bots, with no, you just, it's practically impossible. If you're on Twitter or you're on social media, media you can get 10,000 really cool tweets that are really dramatic that ought to go viral. And you'll maybe have, you know, almost all of them will just get, almost no one will look at. And there's going to be a distribution that's a particular thing called a power law, where you basically get one out of those 10,000, which might go, you know, have maybe a thousand tweets. And then, then the, you know, maybe you'll have two that have 10 tweets. And then, you know, it, it, it's very rare. So it's sort of, uh, it's a particular, not an exponential decay. But anyway, so it's very, very hard to do, no matter how much, how clever you think you are as a government, you can't force this thing. It's just, you're going to be lucky. So we were unlucky to get that kind of virality. But I think that luck happens more often, more and will happen more and more if the entire, you know, social network from the entire earth is all packed together. It makes the odds of that uh, much lower. I mean, much higher. Yeah. Well, the good thing about, I mean, these the social networks and our media saturation drives me crazy, but the good thing about it is that I'm able to, we have our team reality as uh, um, people refer to it um, on social media. And, you know, I follow Alex Berenson, who's been great and he's got these great, uh, uh, ebooks e e that he's published. Uh, Team Reality is out there. I have my COVID list. I don't know how many people are, are on it, but I keep a list on Twitter that's called COVID Trust. And every day I just go onto it and I can see, and you're on there, exactly. Alex I never use, Yeah, I never use Twitter lists until this, and now and mine is a not susceptible to hysteria. Actually, <laughs> and it's basically the same. The same. Yes. Because uh, a lot uh, of folks that I followed, a lot of folks that I'm, I'm a classical liberal sort of libertarian type, and a lot of folks that seem to have all these principles about you know how civil liberties are so important man as soon as like the intellectual dark web folks and all these man as soon as the pandemic hit they were just as authoritarian as the next neil or karen next year i was very surprised at some of the people that jumped on the bandwagon so quickly and in what i thought was a freedom-loving nation that would never go that way uh you know live free or die that's the new hampshire slogan but that's that that's the United States, I thought, but countries like the U.S., like Australia, like New Zealand, I thought that they would be the the most resistant, but they've been the most uh, um, yeah. susceptible to this kind of stuff. Yeah, my joke was that, you know, I, I, I said that no one does authoritarianism like China, and then America said, hold my beer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing. Well, Mark, this was great to talk to you. We got the, uh, the, the Twitter handle on there, Mark Changazi. It's changazi.com. Um, I think I got a free, uh, did I get a free uh, ebook on your site? I went to changazi.com and I downloaded a, a, a PDF. The brain from 25,000 feet. 
Yes. So I downloaded it. It's on my device. I'll have to take a look at it. But I want people to check you out and uh, and, and follow you. Also, uh, I don't have the YouTube channel up there, but find them on YouTube. It's easy. It's all. It's Mark Changazi uh, and uh, Changizi. Sorry, Changizi. Yeah. And, yeah. And, uh, I did a new video where I'm on. I'm naked. <laughs> yeah. You got the. Are they uh, uh, boxer trunks on? What is it? Well, no, they're just sort of workout tight ones. I mean, the idea is that you know the new taboos that are, we don't want our face to become the new private part. Yeah. And so I, I make that point in a particular. Are you selling those shirts and my face is not a private part? I, I should do that. Yeah. You should sell them. You should yeah. sell them on changeasy.com. Yeah. I, All I right. Should, yeah. Thank you so much, Don, for having Mark, me. Mark, it's great. Great to talk to you. Thanks for doing it. We'll talk to you again. Bye-bye. <clears throat>